0: You break into the Bank of England via computer, then transfer the money electronically. Just seconds before you set off the Golden Eye, which erases any record of the transactions. Ingenious. Thank you, James. But it still boils down to petty theft. Yeah.
1: often wonder if we have any regular listeners on these podcasts, and if we do i imagine they will be on the bond podcast because they do seem to be the most popular and i bring that up because the last time we did a bond movie it was <laughs> the world is not enough you're laughing already and it was our most disagreeable podcast ever because we could not have disagreed more could we
0: uh, accident
1: I think accident, we found more common ground than we did on the Bond movie. Yeah, I
0: think we probably did. And a lot of my arguments against yours for World Is Not Enough were, what about Goldeneye?
1: Exactly. (laughs) That's right. You kept banging on about this movie, Goldeneye. And I just assumed, because obviously you were wrong in all of your arguments about this, the World Is Not Enough, that you must also be wrong about Goldeneye. I could not have been more wrong. What if... I've seen all the Bond movies, but I'd forgotten this one, or I just hadn't recognised. It's really top notch.
0: It's absolutely cracking and I think it proves that if you have a rest in a franchise if you use that rest properly you can kick things off a lot better. You've got uh, uh, if you look at Licence to Kill which I don't rate at all as a Bond film uh, that was Do what, t- 89?
1: No, so you have to fill in for me which Bond that was.
0: That was um,
1: Don- Jones the Bond um Dalton, yeah yeah um
0: again there was another rights complication um i think it was still the kevin mcclory problem was still cropping up
1: just for people who don't know kevin mcclory was involved in thunderball uh, another favorite of matt's and because of his involvement in creating the story for thunderball he was entitled uh he believed the the bond filmmakers didn't to make his own bond movies that's what matt's talking about separate from the, the mainstream bond series
0: but he wasn't the only one they also had the problem that they'd sold the rights to casino royale yes and that point. was still being sorted out so originally they wanted to do casino royale but it just wasn't doable at all so this is the first one completely written from scratch
1: okay so at this point so people who may not know this casino royale came out in the early 60s after, I think, a couple of the proper Bond movies as a kind of parody of Bond films. It was never meant to be. It was meant to be a proper Bond film,
0: but it just got out of hand.
1: Yeah, but it was never going to be a proper Bond film made by uh, Saltzman and Broccoli, who no. are the normal producers. Can you tell us, because I don't know this, how did it come to be that Fleming sold all of the Bonds to one group of producers except for Casino Royale? Because people picked up
0: uh, before Sean Connery was Bond other places pick things up so casino royale was picked up as a tv movie
1: oh it's not the uh, horrible
0: american jimmy bond yeah, the, thing the barry nelson one and so that was the rights for that were still with someone oh. else and then they were subsequently sold on to another party but we'll cover that when we do casino royale yeah because, yeah absolutely um, it's an absolute minefield and i need lots of notes to explain it because <laughs> man <So> now, alive <laughs> you
1: were just saying that the, the problems that the, these problems with uh non-Cubby uh, Broccoli Bonds were rearing their head at this point in the series
0: yeah there was uh, there was another legal wrangle. it was uh, I can't remember the name of the company is it Danjack D A N J there is a company called something like that yeah. and it was a, a row with them and someone else and that's what stopped a Bond film getting made between Licence to Kill and GoldenEye so I think you've got about a six year gap
1: six years seriously that's yeah, a I'm big gap yeah I'm pretty
0: sure Yeah, Licence to Kill was still the 80s I think it was 89 because Living Daylights would have been, what, 87? So yeah, Living Daylights was
1: the last Roger Moore one?
0: Uh, no, that was also Dalton. Okay. Timothy Dalton did too. So, yeah, this was the first one with Pierce Brosnan, who they have been trying to get for some time.
1: And he's very good. I wonder, I mean, I said I saw the Bonds. I wonder if it's possible that I didn't see this one when it came out, because it was so new to me, and it was so good. I think I would have seen it, because it's directed by Martin Campbell. For whom I have very high regard, he was a terrific British television director who did Edge of Darkness, which is one of my favourite things of all time.
0: He's done some great stuff. He's done some bloody terrible stuff as well. Um, Casino Amongst
1: Royale for stuff? One. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, Matt's there talking about the second Casino Royale, which is the Daniel Craig one, which I think is really good, but we'll get to that. Third. So, beg your pardon?
0: Third Casino Royale.
1: Oh, are you are counting the stupid TV movie. Like, you're such a pedant. Do you know what? I uh, okay. also
0: think you've also got the radio adaptation with uh, Bob Holness. Oh, well, that James must Bond. be
1: the fourth. Oh, For, for yeah. Christ's sake! But uh, yeah. But you were saying that Barton Campbell has done a bunch of good stuff. Can you tell me some other stuff of his that you approve of? Uh,
0: it's all telly. His telly stuff's great. I don't like his yeah. film stuff.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, no, didn't
0: I, he I'd mess up Zorro? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that was oh, him. So well, yeah, well, yeah I, well, I'd have
1: a long argument with you about that.
0: I mean, I. I Look, I really, really like Goldeneye. So whatever else he's done, I'm not too fussed about because he made a good film here. Um, the thing with Goldeneye that I have is that at the time this came out, uh, on the Nintendo 64, which was one of the
1: <laughs> <sort> of <laughs> yes, earlier true.
0: big games consoles, there was a Goldeneye game. And the Goldeneye game is legendary. I mean,
1: because? It was
0: brilliant. It was so good. And it was... The first time a game had properly reflected the film that it was based on. Now, you look back at it now and it just looks terrible. But <laughs> it used the music, it used all the characters, and it used all the locations. And the music, especially, and I, we discussed this uh, with uh, the David Arnold music, which I don't like. I said one, I love Eric Serrescore.
1: In the world, is okay. Now, we need to get this out of the way because this is going to be one of those ones on which we agree a lot. And I love this movie from stem to stem. However, my because I'm a glass half full, half empty kind of guy, I want to dwell on the thing that I didn't like about it. So my soundbite about the Eric Serra score is that I think it's a perfectly good, very good film score. It's a fine piece of music for a movie, but not. I don't think it's good for a Bond movie. I just don't think it's a Bond movie score at all. So, comment.
0: I think if you're rebooting a franchise... It's nice to have a completely new sound, and it does have a very new sound. It makes it feel... An example I can... Oh, no, that's a terrible example. I won't go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Um, for about 15 years, Doctor Who had the same composer, a guy called Dudley Simpson, who has right. a very st- similar sound all the way through, and then suddenly in the 1980s, they brought in the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. And it's the difference between those two seasons the music brings suddenly it doesn't feel old-fashioned it suddenly feels new and dynamic and in 1995 eric Serra's sound was very popular
1: well you know i i'm not saying that it's bad music but it just is not bond for me i really really felt that quite strongly i've written here eric Serra's score is interesting and often effective but it's all wrong for bond what i I like
0: about his music in this is that he doesn't rely on the bond theme at all, it's not until, I think it's almost an hour and 20 minutes in until he actually gives you a full on Blair of the Bond theme, whereas David Arnold's doing it all day long, he can't help himself um, I think it basically it's the scene where the tank crashes through the wall yep. when they escape yeah. um, it's brilliant and it's got so much more impact because you've not had it all the way through the film up to that <laughs> point um, I really like his kettle drum dum da dum dum thing that he does with the Bond music
1: uh, no I I like Eric Serra as a composer. I didn't I don't think I think this is a dud Bond score. But so on that, given yes, that we're
0: at the we're starting at the beginning, how do you feel about yeah. the theme song?
1: I you know I'm just terrible to admit what is the theme song for? the, Oh wait, this is garbage. It's a really good theme song. No it's not. Song. Oh, that was I, is not enough. Wrong.
0: This was Tina Turner. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it's probably okay. I, I didn't sort of register it to be honest. Not like yeah. the garbage one, which I thought was really great. So no, I guess no, the answer <laughs> is it's. Uh, huh? What did you think?
0: I, I do like it. I, I think it's a very old school Bond theme and it goes well with the titles. I think the titles are very well done. Um, it's a nice upgrade from Binder. Who, Binder? Binder Binder. Up to you.
1: What was it? Otto Binder? Binder? Morris. Morris, thank you.
0: But I've got a feeling he was European so I've got a feeling it's probably Binder rather than Binder but I'll, so I'll be he, corrected
1: he did all the uh, title sequences for the Bonds up until I guess the Roger Moore ones uh, no he did some Roger Moore ones uh, But it's yeah up did, to including the Roger Moore ones you great pen, he d- he you? <laughs> did you uh, da-
0: he did Dalton as well I don't know great. if he did Licence to Kill I can't remember he, to Kill. Uh,
1: anyway his stuff was great but then he was replaced and, and they've been variable since then haven't they
0: they have, um, it's one of the few things I like about Casino Royale,
1: I love those titles they're beautiful well we'll get to that when we get to Casino Royale and this is uh, this is a major reboot and it introduces uh, a new M who's a woman which is terrific
0: Judy Dench, yeah. isn't she good
1: and also yeah, Moneypenny as well that, yeah and she's very good as well and she is played by Andrew Scrolls down the screen Samantha Bond seriously? that's yeah. a great name for her She's terrific. But I wanted to, I've wanted i written down a line of money, not of money, pennies of M's. She says, if I want sarcasm, I'll talk to my children.
0: Yes, the children that we never actually see or hear from again for the rest of the series. And it turns out she's never had children, I think, in one of the other films. but we'll uh, Who cares? Done. It's a great <laughs>
1: one-liner. That's all we need, great one-liner. The, this film is written by uh, Jeffrey Kane, Bruce Firestein Feierstein, and yeah. Michael France.
0: Well, Jeffrey Kane... Um, I believe his was the first draft that they threw out and rewrote. Right. Um, he was mainly a TV writer. He did things. I mean, he did episodes of Bergerac, uh, Dempsey and Makepeace stuff like that. And the original script was way too jokey. So they brought in, I believe, Bruce uh, uh, Firestein uh, to crack on. So the,
1: the, the little clicking sound people were hearing were me having a look. Okay, so absolutely Dempsey Dempsey and Makepeace. Bergerac, yes, which he might have met Martin Campbell during the spell mm. on television. I think so, that,
0: so. Although that doesn't make sense because they originally offered the film to John Woo, who told uh, him to sod off.
1: Well, I, I, I think that... We're all that relieved about that. He, that. He, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Martin Campbell uh, did a fine job. Now, this is Michael Franz guy. How does he come into it?
0: Um, I don't know. The note I've written next to him is bad superhero films. What?
1: <laughs> yes, well, he's done The Fantastic Four and The Punisher.
0: Uh, and the That's hulk sense, though, my god
1: they're all terrible before this he had just done a film called cliffhanger which i saw i think it's sylvester salon climbs mountains okay so it's quite so,
0: interesting where they pitched this because you you've got a wealth of talent but they're sticking to the uk but they've not gone for much in the way of big names these are all guys from television which i'm guessing is the way the broccolis work is they like a producer and they like a director and they like a writer they can push about out a bit and you know control have
1: access to <laughs> yeah
0: because um I, I don't think martin campbell had done much in the way of films up to this point he'd done maybe two feature films the rest was telly
1: yeah and in fact i did have a quick look at through his credits and you, you're right he hasn't really distinguished himself in feature films but he did some great television including riley ace of spies which like edge of darkness was written by troy kennedy martin who's who one of my heroes so that's i love that stuff
0: and curiously, was Sam Neil, whose uh, screen test for Bond is on the Living Daylights DVD. So really,
1: Are he what do you think? Would he, could he have been? A, I think he could have been a Bond, couldn't he?
0: He looks weird as Bond. He looks weird. I like okay. Sam Neil a lot, um, but I, he's not Bond. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, we can agree about that. Um, there's so much to agree about in this movie. Now, one of the things when we were going through, the world is not enough, which is such a good Bond film. <laughs> I'm just trying to rile you. And I was going on about. I thought Denise Richards was. A, you beat me down to the point where I said that she was sort of okay as a Bond girl, but I thought she was a really good Bond girl. And you were saying, "I'll wait till you see Isabella Scarlet." yeah. Sk- and you were using that as a, a, a weapon to beat, you know, me and the world is not enough. And Denise Richards with, and you were right. You could not have been more right. I think Boy, she's the she, benchmark for Bond girls. Right, she's there the best. With Diana Rigg. She's, she is the oh well. I'd have to rewatch on Her Majesty's Secret Series once she said, but before you uttered those words, Diana and Rig. I was going to say she's the best Bond girl ever by a country mile
0: I think so I
1: it's and it's
0: so well written because again when doesn't... I was
1: banging on sorry if I'm interrupting you to agree with you because I was banging on about how I really like the screenwriters for the world is not enough and you said there's no story there's, whereas <laughs> in GoldenEye there's actually a proper story and you banged on and I thought oh Christ then I watched this and you again you could not have been more right
0: well I'm I'm glad to hear that because I was getting so frustrated is not enough but I I really do think Goldeneye was a fantastic reboot and it just all goes to pot from here
1: (laughs) well you're right it's one of the high 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 water marks of the entire Bond franchise and you've got a hell of a cast
0: here because when they did I remember when they were publicising the film Sean Bean was nowhere to be seen Uh, that wasn't meant to rhyme and suddenly he's in the beginning of the film and you think well, okay that's probably just a little cameo and then it turns out he's your main bad guy for the film because originally they were pushing uh i never fanka jensen as the main bad guy in the film when actually she's not she's just a henchman
1: Yeah, she's, hench, she's kinky henchwoman which is a standard bond trope now sean bean when he got killed at the beginning i thought oh he's got to turn out to be the bad guy because <laughs> he can't he can't be in the film for such a short period of time that's the problem. And there's no way he could come back as a good guy I suppose conceivably Bond could have to rescue him but that's not really a Bond movie so I figured out oh, he's going to be recycled as a baddie
0: now here's an interesting thing um, Sean Bean was a replacement for another actor who dropped out and it was meant to be Anthony Hopkins oh yeah
1: well, um, he's a great villain, but he's not much of an action man, and that, this part sort of calls for an action man as well as a.
0: Well, oh, no, villain. it doesn't, because um, 006, I whatever think, he is. is yeah. um, aside from uh, running around a bit at the beginning, he hasn't yeah. got a lot of action to do. Mostly he stands around and threatens people.
1: Yeah, but at the end, there is the thing on that uh, radio mast or whatever it is at the end.
0: 1995, right? Hopkins could have done a fight scene. It's not asking yeah, but If Roger Moore can uh, do it, anyone can.
1: I'm not... I would have loved <laughs> to see Hopkins in, in a movie like this. I just... But Sean Bean and his character, Alec Trevelyan, do, does have sort of physical stuff. To do. He needs to be a bit of a, you know, a heavy kind of guy. What I physical. like about
0: Sean Bean is he reflects uh, the bond of the books quite nicely in that he's very much a working-class lad playing posh in this film, which... Means How that does he's, that
1: tie with the books? Because the books are just posh, 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 I would have said. No, because Bond's, Bond's not
0: posh. He's trying to be posh all the time. He's always trying to be better, I find. Okay. His parents weren't particularly well off. All right. He didn't come from money.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. It's a I always thought of him as... Uh, well, I always think of Fleming as upper class. You know, smoking his five million cigarettes a day in a cigarette holder.
0: So, opening title sequence... Uh, Opening sequence, sorry, the first stunt. Um, Which was? It's the jump off the dam with the bungee cord. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is not exactly the most thrilling of stunts, I think, but uh, I think it's the last appearance of B.J. Worth in a Bond film who had done all their aerial stunts up to this point.
1: Okie dokie, right. And
0: he is... An incredibly good double for pierce brosman if you see him on set he looks uh, I, I almost feel like they cast pierce brosman just because he looks like <laughs> the stunt man that <laughs> was vice versa. always a good thing yes <laughs> cool um it's an impressive stunt but campbell kind of fudges it by not staying on it long enough i mean it's impressive that the worth manages to get the gun out and point it but it just it just needs about another four seconds and it's cut too early i think
1: okay so it's one of the few things that you down down rate golden eye for it. but we do finally have some convincing
0: model effects from Derek meddings and i think this is probably the last one Derek meddings did but um yeah finally the models look good which is when the whole uh, base blows up at the beginning and the plane flies away although it's quite oh, well, a nice. bit
1: where it fl- flies away just goes over the cliff and then does a dive yeah i'm beginning yeah. to remember which film this is, which bond movie this is now <laughs> Well, no, well, you see, my my big point about this, uh, the note I wanted to make is that you were talking about the great character arc for Isabella Skorupko. Yes. And, and how she's set up early in the film and pays off later on. And I was, you know, at the time, we were just at daggers drawn over the world. is not enough. I wasn't really listening. You were very right about that. And the thing that this Bond movie has, that they've seldom have, it's actually got a script, by which I mean it's actually got a story. Yes. Now, Bond movies are usually just a string of set pieces with a, the, the most minimal sort of g-string of story to sort of cover up the absolute nudity of the fact that it's just a bunch of stuff blowing up and people running around with guns this is different this is actually feels like a story that flows from the beginning to the end and it pays such dividends in terms of emotional engagement of the audience or at least this member of the audience i really thought it was practically unique and really great from that point of view
0: well i, I agree completely uh, especially as i say the. Um, I'm trying to think what her name is um, Isabella Skrupko plays Natalia Simonova Simonova, yes
1: yeah, you're talking to um, a man who's got a tab open on his computer Oh, you're talking <laughs> to a man who used to play her as a character on the game um, Oh, no, she's so fabulous And when I, when I said I couldn't remember which bomb this was I meant to do with those set pieces they all begin to blur but I have total recall of everything that was actually properly plot based or character based which is what's great about GoldenEye I mean, so forgive you're... me if I forget about which which evil installation blew up and which plane stunt we had at the beginning. What another thing that sets her aside? It's she's wonderful. Big... I worship her. <laughs> what can I say? Because the thing uh... is, she's not only gorgeous; she can genuinely act, and she's been given a character to play. Well, acting
0: is a big bonus, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I, I feel that the other, uh, you know, they've been perfectly viable actors before as Bond girls but she's she has a depth and an appeal which goes way beyond the glamour which is usually what we're offered from a Bond girl the glamour and occasionally vulnerability is what we get she's got a lot more than that you
0: get the glam there's two hits of glamour in this with her which I quite like one is that ridiculous fur coat that she acquires mysteriously on the train goes into the IT shop and with an intent to use his computers and pretends to be buying the uh, other computers and then that coat disappears after that, which is quite odd. And then you've got the swimsuit uh, bikini moment much later on, just before everything kicks off at the end of the film. Um, But what I love about the rest of the film is she's doing the whole thing in her work clothes. So whereas in other Bond films you've got people dressed ridiculous, like Denise Richards doing her um, Tomb Raider routine scrubco in this he's just wearing a cardigan and sensible shoes and just getting on yeah
1: it's true but i when i said that you have glamour and vulnerability in bond girls you actually do have kick-ass bond girls before this but she you were you were not convinced by any of the ass kicking that denise richards did or or by her ability to dismantle nuclear weapons whereas with isabella scrubco you you definitely do buy into it well
0: the thing is, with the dismantling of the nuclear weapon, is that in the end they don't bother dismantling; they just let it blow up.
1: Well, no, listen. I don't want to go back to the world's <laughs> world not enough. I, I, let's just stick to what we agree about, which is this great movie. Which, since we're t- talking about Isabella, do you want to jump to the point where her character enters the story? Uh, well, yes. The um, it's a
0: what do you call it electromagnetic pulse on a, a radar station.
1: So is, it's, a, it's a secret. Is it? So sort of, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> It's still is it still Soviets or is it now Russia has has the Soviet Union collapsed at this point 1995? Trying to remember uh, the, yeah I think it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so so yes so it is. In fact but later on there's a, a very good bit in a junkyard full of Soviet era uh statues and stuff in the film which which is reflects the really opening nice titles. In. Oh yeah actually come to think of it it is all sort of um hammers and sickles isn't it the yeah. opening titles
0: breaking down but, the monuments.
1: It's a secret Russian uh sort of computer installation which is, it's the uh, base for a satellite in orbit which has the ability to send EMPs. That, that's the gimmick in this movie. That's the big sort of weapon you can use EMP to knock out microchips everywhere. Is that true? Am I right? Is it
0: uh, well, it knocks out anything electrical.
1: Yeah. What's,
0: now, what's curious about this, when I watched it through this time, and something i would not really noticed before, is I've got a feeling that the Alan Cummings' character was added later during filming
1: Boris Grishenko, who yeah. is the he's the
0: computer expert I am invincible
1: oh wait so he's the hacker yes I didn't recognize him because he's got a little kind of beard and stuff hasn't he
0: yeah
1: but I I re... yeah, I know that actor but I didn't know that it was him so what happens is he's a computer nerd and so is interestingly Isabella Scropko yes. they're both working at this installation which is d- designed to guide these, this weaponized satellite and uh, there's a couple of things about this but the most extraordinary thing is he's because he's a he's a creepy sexist um hacker he's done a a cartoon of, of Isabella <laughs> on his screen with her with her tits out right yeah and then he said and she's sort of just she gives him this look which puts him in his place but he says I thought I'd posted it on the internet and I, thought, I had this double date <laughs> did that even exist in 1995 I'm afraid and it I, did <laughs> Well, I looked it up, and it was it was we were still on modems and stuff, right at that point.
0: Well, they are in the film as well. That's why yeah. um, her computer order in the in the shop is wonderful, where she's asking for a thing with CD-ROM. <laughs> like that's a luxury, yeah, like a but, big era. Uh, was uh,
1: was the internet like a thing that was generally known about in ninety five?
0: I had email in ninety five.
1: Okay, so you yeah, you're probably always at the more at the cutting edge than me. But anyway, that took uh, that I thought you know i had to have a reality check (laughs) there at that point i thought oh that's ahead of the curve
0: wouldn't you have been editing a pc magazine around that time
1: (laughs) no i never edited a pc magazine at any time in my life sorry now i worked at a company that i worked at a hi-fi magazine at a company that was more famous for its pc magazines mac magazines actually i know you like macs more than pcs (laughs) (laughs) um all right, have got to go through some of the things I've made. I know, Matt. Day. Folks, I want to apologise to the folks at home. Matt can't think for about ten minutes now because I mentioned the word Mac and, Josh, and he's right—he's so full of rage he can't think for a while.
0: There is something in this film that makes me incredibly happy because it's something that infuriates me with Casino Royale, and okay. that is that when Bond sits at the card table, he plays baccarat, and that's yeah. what I want to see them playing—not okay. Texas Hold'em okay um,
1: save some of your venom for when we get to Casino
0: Royale so,
1: th- there's a, so there's a gaming confrontation, a card game which is a classic Bond thing and that also I believe introduces us to the secondary Bond girl who's actually a baddie who is
0: Xenia um, on a top
1: yeah which is it's a crazy name pl- played by Famke Janssen who is she's one of the X-Men isn't she? yes which one is she? Uh is oh, she the, one, the one who's covered with blue scales or was she the other no
0: one? that was um i can't think of her that was some remain rebecca remain uh <laughs>
1: anyway she she was she an, a, an ex-woman an, an ex-man ex-woman and she's yeah she's very she's a very evil villain because like she basically gets a sexual thrill out of killing people i don't think it's i don't think that's too far fetched to put it like that she's definitely, it's not it's yeah
0: I mean, I, one of my frustrations with the Bond films as they go on, and it's it's toned down a lot here, but it's the gimmick villain who has, oh, they, uh, the worst one for this is Living Daylight, so it's like, oh, she's a child assassin, she kills people with exploding teddy bears, and fuck off. It's like Batman. <laughs> um, with Xenia, I think they just about get away with it, just purely because she's having a whale of a time playing that part.
1: Oh, it's she's. It. I think she's very effective. I just felt, felt, thought it was a bit queasy, to use that word, uh, that her... Her sexual thrill out of people suffering and dying. It just seems a bit unwholesome. Well, I suppose you want to be a villain.
0: You have to give a bad person a motive, and what better motive than sexual pleasure?
1: And (laughs) it's not untrue to an Ian Fleming type scenario. Very true,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'd be right up his alley, dirty old bugger. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, One of the other things about this film that makes me very happy is it's, it's the first film that I can think of to feature Bill Tanner. Who
1: is... You, you so love this minutiae that nobody gives a fuck about. <laughs> well, <it's> been,
0: <laughs> but, but Bill Tanner's in almost every Bond book. Yeah. And he's never been in a film, and it just seems an odd thing to leave out because otherwise what they have to do is Bond has to have a chat with Q, and that's not the same relationship.
1: This is probably the last Desmond Llewellyn Q movie, because when we get to The World Is Not Enough, he's sort of been shunted aside for John Cleese to... to I don't even want to talk about job. It yeah, that, that was one of the few things we agreed about, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that,
0: that's, that's not good. Um, I think Desmond Leonard's fine in this, but again, it's still that ridiculous pile of gadgets for no bloody reason. Um, but to
1: get back to the, the main story and Isabella, so she's working the secret installation beside this guy called Boris. Natalia and Boris are both computer experts, and what happens is the baddies come by and they slaughter everyone, but Natalia is having a coffee in the coffee room while they're slaughtering everyone. <laughs> Uh, you know and that's that's chief bady and assistant bady, who's the, the the sadistic woman famke jansen and uh, our heroine natalia survives that and manages that even survives them blowing up the base what do they they crash uh, some planes into it yes that the emp causes some jets to fall out of the sky and crash into it is that
0: correct yeah. well i mean yeah. I, I don't understand i'm not terribly good on what the effects of an, uh, an emp are but it does seem to cause an awful lot of explosions which i think is. Probably unlikely. I would have thought everything would just switch off, but
1: and there's a big. I can twist. excuse
0: that.
1: <laughs> there's a big twist in that Boris, who's the sec- her sexist fellow hacker, ha- turns out to also have survived. Uh, now, but before we get there, so the idea about EMP is that it knocks out uh, electronic circuitry. But the thing, this is just to let a bit of reality intrude into this. There was this uh, memorable occasion when the Americans got a hold of a MiG which was you know, a, a Soviet fighter plane. And they, they looked inside and it was full of, I think you know, somebody uh, defected in one. So they got to examine it and they found that it was full of vacuum tubes, what, what in Britain we'd call valves. And they were laughing at this because you know we've got transistors, they're using this, this antiquated technology. And then somebody pointed out to them that if an EMP hit, all of their planes would just drop out of the sky. And the, the, these MiGs, which have this older form of technology, would just keep flying. <laughs> so I did wonder about that when these uh, Russian jets were dropping out of the sky on, onto poor Natalia's base. But you mentioned that she, she acquires a fur coat from somewhere. Yes, because th- this, this base is in the middle of Siberia or some, some Arctic-type a snowbound location somehow she gets a fur coat which made a big impression on you then she gets to Moscow I'm going to say and goes to this internet cafe I'm going to say
0: well it's it's a computer shop okay yeah Um, she pretends to be buying computers for a language school yeah a load um, of computers in order to flatter the guy into letting her use a computer alone for a bit there's that great line where she, uh, he comes in he says um, is everything okay and she goes everything but the interruption <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's a great character and really plays it well and the the point I'm getting to is that she manages to get in, uh, to make contact with Boris, who's also survived the blast and the attack, and goes to him, which is really not a smart thing to do, because it turns out he's working for the bad guys.
0: Well, this is my theory of Boris's involvement in the plot, is that I think it's been expanded during production. Almost all of uh, Alan Cummings' scenes are solo shots. He's, really, he's hardly ever in a, a shot with her until the end of the film. Okay. So in that sequence, um, she she meets him she's supposed to meet him at a church. Correct. But she bumps into someone and then it cuts to him going, Shush, it's okay, it's me, it's Boris. But they're not in the same shot and at the beginning as well, they're never in the same shot. So I've got a feeling they expanded it and changed it in the edit very effectively because it's not terribly noticeable. Or they have to go back and do reshoots. Something and- isn't right.
1: Alan Cumming is is very good in that role, though. I thought it, I I like I like the fact that I didn't know it was Alan Cumming. I just thought it was this mischievous, sexist, you know, classic kind of um, computer nerd hacker. But he was strange casting
0: out. at the time. I think this is probably one of the first films he did. But he, um, I mean, I just knew him from the High Life, so which is what? Oh, it's a fantastic sitcom where he played a. It was him and Forbes Mason, and they played two very camp airline stewards in yeah, Scotland that makes sense that um, sounds
1: like typecasting I actually found well,
0: well they wrote it as well um, but oh it's, brilliant it, it's one of my favorite programs it only lasted six episodes quite rightly I mean no one would have liked <laughs> it it is very entertaining <coughs>
1: excuse me so um, okay so we set the plot in motion we've got this bo- and it's so rare because what we're doing is we're cutting away to somebody who's not Bond who's actually important yes. in the plot she has i mean they don't meet for about an hour and 10 minutes it's, I think. it's really really unusual and really good yeah it's because
0: it allows you to have two separate plot strands going so that yeah even though bond's in the dark we're not and when uh, the two of uh, them finally meet it's uh even when they meet she doesn't like him and it's like she's got her own shit going well
1: i really <laughs> like this i i've written that there's i love her and there's real chemistry between her and Brosnan I think which is Mm. unusual. I mean Bond movies are all about these women falling at Bond's feet but you almost never feel there's any spark between the two people. I find you do in
0: the films where it's the first Bond so I think with Caroline Seymour in Live and Let Die I think there is a a chemistry there. I think with um, Mariam Diabo in uh, Living Daylights it's there. I think it's a question of two newcomers to the film whereas if the bond is established there's a lot of pressure on
1: might be bullshit well, l- I know I really look forward to going back to those Conneries because I have great memories of them I've written down some some notes here uh, there's a bit, I think he's a Canadian admiral who's um, <laughs> banging, banging Fampke Jansen Xenia on the top and I, I believe the line is, I think I've gone to heaven. And she says, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's not him. It's, it's when uh, she she's, needs to steal somebody's ID so she can steal a helicopter. It's these couple of, couple of guys on an aircraft carrier, I think. Yeah. yeah uh, and she kills them. That was a good line, I thought. Then l- later on, uh, there's one. Yes, we've covered M's line. Oh, yes. No one takes the time to do a really sinister interrogation anymore. <laughs> I mean, there's some brilliant lines in this. Um, M has
0: a line, um, unlike the US government, we prefer not to get on bad news from CNN, which is still and appropriate now.
1: So, and There's also, why don't you be a good boy and die? <laughs> that's a good line. And I the think one that's being really to Bond, like. I'm not sure of yep. Um You've got uh,
0: Robbie Coltrane playing Zukovsky. Uh, who's excellent, by the way. Um, and also, did you spot
1: Mini Driver? Right. i did what <laughs> my note was i've written in capitals irena was mini driver because this yeah. what what it is is that uh matt's talking about robbie coltrane who's valentin zukovsky who's sort of a, a russian a dodgy russian um post collapse of the soviet union gangster and he's made a lot of money and anyway he's useful to bond at some point and in his club he's got all these kind of exotic dances including this rather fetching freckled redhead in a cowboy hat who's really can't sing i mean that's the point of the scene is how bad her singing is oh is that mini driver and by god it was she's like, terrific it annoys me because they wasted mini driver but she's good
0: for her one second of screen time but yeah i, yeah, I like mini driver.
1: driver a lot but Zukovsky's a very engaging character i'm so glad you, you brought her up
0: <laughs> well zukovsky has got that a fantastic line where bond says uh, he stole a helicopter and Zukovsky says i have six and bond says three none that fly
1: <laughs> yeah he's he's basically kind of um it sounds strange, but he's sort of a, an Arthur Daly character, writ large in Russia.
0: What is also odd is um, uh, Bond's CIA contact is Joe Don Baker, who is the bad guy in Living Daylights, which was only two films previously.
1: Yeah, and Joe Don Baker, the, uh, one reason he would have been cast is because Martin Campbell worked with him very effectively in Edge of Darkness, which is that mm. TV miniseries I mentioned. Well, that sequence
0: where, he meets Joe Don, where Bond meets Joe Don Baker at the airport, that airport is epsom downs just up the road from oh, how here how wonderful <laughs> it's one of the, that was the only problem when i watched the film is that i looked at it and went, That's epsom. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah i, I pulled you out do the film Baker,
1: who, who's jack wade the cia guy he has this little quirk that wherever they are he begins identifying the plant life have you noticed that yes <laughs> is it is it like it? tobacco plants <laughs> you know things like that which i think he put, might have been an ad lib i thought it was a nice character point
0: that i'm pretty sure jack wade's in another film i'm I, if it wasn't World Is Not Enough, he might be in Tomorrow Never Dies.
1: But you did mention that he was a heavy two films ago in...
0: Uh, Living Daylights, but it's one of the th- worst th- That was the Bond first, um, the first well, Dalton, uh, Dalton one. Dalton, yeah. And it's one of the worst Bonds, did you say? Well, it's one of the worst Bond villains because oh, okay. he's barely in the film. Uh, I mean, we'll discuss Living Daylights because yeah. I've just watched that one recently. Um,
1: Excellent. So you were going to go on a bit more about Jack Wade, or maybe Epsom Airport, or no, 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 I'm done with both of those. (laughs) Uh, Done with both of those. Well, we're rapidly reaching the point where Bond finally meets up with Natalia, and it's it's great. I mean, there's a sequence with a tank, which is a really good sequence.
0: It's lovely and a lovely big advert for Perrier water.
1: Yeah, because he drives through a truck in his tank truck through. a full of perrier correct (laughs) yeah up to
0: this point um product placement hasn't been that common in bond films but this really kicks off from this film onwards and sometimes it's to the the detriment of the plot yeah so but this isn't so bad i don't mind the perrier water it's uh even though it's basically
1: a car chase a vec tank and one of the things that happens is is the tank goes bond's piloting the tank it goes through an equestrian statue and this horse uh, this statue of a horse ends up riding along merrily on top of the tank for a while it's, it's all good fun which is interesting because these are the sequences like the fire truck chase in living in view to a kill that or the hovercraft chase in the world is not enough these are so easily the bits that I just think are tedium incarnate this one was pretty good though
0: yeah well how can you not like a tank chase um, there's a, a curious line in this which is yes. my only uh, plot Concern, which is Alec, mentions Money Penny to Bond, saying that how is Money still doing the paperwork or whatever.
1: Alec being Sean Bean, yeah. Yeah. Now there's
0: ten years between the events at the beginning of Goldeneye. Oh, is there? And I, I had film. no
1: idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah. I'm not sure Moneypenny would have been working there 10 years prior.
1: Well, I I was one of the many viewers who had no idea there was a 10-year time lapse between the stunt at the beginning and and the the main body of the film.
0: Wow, what can I say? Another um, little cameo in this, which I adore, is uh, there's a little cameo from Trevor Byfield um, during the uh, train sequence. He plays the train driver. Trevor Byfield... uh, was an English actor. He'd turn up in various things here and there, usually playing thugs or heavies. But he owned a shop in Epsom that I used to go into. <laughs> and it sold, you know those crystals with like dragons? They do those pewter dragons with a little crystal on them. Quite nope. popular in the 90s.
1: Nope, sorry. Yeah, they
0: had a little shop called <laughs> Crystal Kingdom. And it just seems so out of character with him. He's such a gruff, angry guy. So yeah, there you go.
1: That's <laughs> a lot of Epsom connections. Uh, well yes, it's quite freaky, don't you think? <laughs> once we get out of um out of russia bond and natalia go to cuba where there's a secret this is classic Bond, where there's an underwater base that rises up out of the water with uh, a giant antenna aerial yeah it's a big dish Yeah. yeah Big dish, which they're gonna use to access the satellite and launch the EMP, blah, blah, blah. And there's very effective action sequences Sue with Bond sort of doing the heavy lifting and Natalia doing the computer hacking, if I remember.
0: There is. um, But all of this centers around Alex's big evil plan, which is to essentially (laughs) make money. That's what he wants to do, he wants to be rich. And it strikes me that had they not spent all their money building this underwater dish (laughs) and going through with this elaborate plan, there would have been no, I, I
1: can't imagine they're going to break even. That's great. <laughs> I love that you're here as the watchdog to, to, to check on these things. But I I just really loved it because by this time, I was really quite invested in Bond and Natalia as a couple. And I wanted, you know, I really wanted, obviously they're not going to get hurt because they're the goodies. Well, Bond isn't going to get hurt. But I really wanted Natalia to come through in one piece. And not only does she come through in one piece, there's a bit at the, the very end where... They're standing in this field, this lovely sort of um, clearing in, in a forest in Cuba. And it looks like they're going to, you know, make love, as you always do at the end of a Bond film. And then suddenly Joe Don Baker turns up and he sort of blows a whistle or something. And all around them, these camouflaged soldiers, stand. they're not actually standing in a clearing. They're standing amongst about 20 soldiers who are heavily camouflaged. It's a terrific scene. But the main thing I wanted to get to is Bond then scoops up uh, Natalia, Isabella Skrupko, in his arms to carry her off. And it's a lovely moment because you really feel that these are you know that there is something between these. So she's sort of laughing and smiling, and he is, and you sense they're going to go off and have a good time together. And it's not just like a mechanical Bond and Bond girl sequence. It really it moved me. I thought it was really lovely.
0: Well, like I say, I mean, I I just head over hills for her. I think she's fantastic. And um, the 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 only other one they did in more recent films who comes close, and I can't think of her name, but it's for your eyes only. Um never going to come well, to that's me. not
1: very recent is it for your eyes only is, is it Roger Moore well it was
0: 80s. Well, this is the problem with Bond films is that this is the only one I can think of who was in any way at all proactive in the plot and it's almost a similar story except that mm. everything she does we mainly find out about off-camera we don't follow her character going through everything she's going through before Which she meets it's very
1: Bond. unusual in a Bond film to do that and it really um, it, it created a huge bonus for this movie uh, the fact that they did that it was it, it was a tremendously rewarding and smart move
0: I find it fascinating how quickly they lose the plot quite literally <laughs> as the films go on when you get on to tomorrow never dies we've done well Is not enough but then die another day um, it's just baffling how, these are
1: all Brosnan movies Orly? yeah yeah
0: it, it's such a rapid decline
1: well it's such it's such a shame because he's a great Bond and this is a great Bond film so they started off this phase of the franchise Immensely strongly.
0: Yeah, I I, I really like Piss Brothers. He's got an, an unusual um, presence. In that, he has that uh, George Lazenby um, feel that you you get the feeling that he's not taking it that seriously. But it's unlike with Roger Moore, who isn't taking it seriously. It doesn't feel like the characters taking the piss out yeah, of the audience I, watching I the film. The,
1: I understand the distinction. Yeah, it's <laughs> not to the not to the detriment of the film. Absolutely. Mm. Well oh. this was I'm so glad you got me to watch this and you were entirely right about it except for the the music you're wrong about that but apart from that you were completely right and it was such a treat to watch this uh, I'm slightly uh, the only problem is now it might be all downhill <laughs> Well no because we've got old Bonds Yep We've still, we still got a few uh... And, and I, like, I do like the Daniel Craig's but this really was an extraordinary high point in the franchise and I'd either forgotten that or perhaps hadn't seen it before which I find extraordinary I certainly hadn't registered what a terrific movie it is I, I'd like to watch it again I, I need to see Isabella Skrupko in, in something else mainly Polish dramas I've got yeah a couple. okay and you said that they interviewed her and she said something like if I'm going to do this I insist on acting something like that yeah um, it, there's an
0: interview with her on the on the EPK the uh, press kit for the film and yeah. um, Somebody asked her how she felt about playing another screaming Bond girl or something like that.
1: Well, she's not, is she?
0: Um, And her exact quote to the journalist that asked it is, journalists who say that are stupid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did she enlarge on that?
0: No, not at all. Because she's so matter-of-fact. You've got that almost cliche of an Eastern European arrogance. But she comes across so... She just takes no prisoners in those interviews. And she clearly is in this for the acting. She's not in it for the glamour. And I like that. And I think that's probably what informed a lot of the writing.
1: So, uh, to sum up, one of the best Bond movies ever. What a surprise.
0: I'm really glad you liked it. There we go. We're one for one this time. Yeah, it's (laughs) fabulous. And I'm
1: looking forward to seeing another. So, yeah, thank you for getting me to watch this. It was really terrific. Great fun. And anybody who's out there hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it for a long time, I... Put it at the top of your list. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Seems your hunch was right, 007. It's too bad the evil queen of numbers wouldn't let you play it you were saying no no i was just uh, just um... good because if i want sarcasm mr tanner i'll talk to my children thank you very much